Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. I'd like to invite you, if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app that you like to use to open up, open it up to uh, Zechariah chapter 9. Uh, Zechariah chapter 9 is right after chapter 8 and right before chapter 10, if you need a place to find it. Um, and, uh, and we're going to read that in, in just a minute. You can, you can wait to put that up. But uh, we've been just in a series this summer where uh, we're following along with uh, what's, what's called the, the lectionary readings of, of the church, of the Book of Common Prayer. So there are literally millions of Christians around the world meditating and reflecting on these passages every week. And we're just kind of doing that through the summer, picking out uh, Old Testament, New Testament, Gospels, uh, Psalms, and and just reflecting a little bit on what God might want to say to our community through these passages along with Christians around the world. And and so this morning, I want to share with you out of one of those readings that's for today and for this week, out of Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 12. So before we we, uh, get into it, I just want to read this text together. It says this, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle. And your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Because of the covenant I have made with you, sealed with blood, I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. Come back to the place of safety, all you prisoners who still have hope. I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. Let's pray together. Jesus, I I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us this morning as we reflect on this passage of Scripture. God, I pray that you would invite us into seeing how you are working in us and through us today and how you've remained faithful to us. We thank you so much for the work of freedom you are doing in people's lives in our community. We thank you so much, Lord, for uh, how we are, people are hearing your voice, how people are following you in new ways, and we pray, God, that today would be another one of those moments to join you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, how, how many of you have ever been on a really great road trip? Really great road trip. Any road trip people? We've got a handful of road trips. Some of you. How many of you have been on a really bad road trip? Some of you. So not too many. I'm a little bit surprised. How many of you went on a lot of road trips when you were a kid? Yeah. Were they good road trips, bad road trips? 
It's a mixed bag a little bit, right? Some of them are great, some of them are not. Well, I've got a story about a really bad road trip I went on with my family when I was growing up. Um, there, actually, there might be worse ones, but this one's the most appropriate for today. Uh, so my dad has, he still has this propensity to, instead of just simply traveling from where we started in one location to where we're supposed to end along the most direct and quickest route, he, he's got this idea all the time, still to this day, that, you know, instead of taking like the quickest, fastest, least uncomfortable way of being in the car together, like, and get there as quick, what if we just went on back roads? And so he would do this all the time. When we, we lived out in, I was just telling someone this morning, we used to live out in Washington State. He was pastoring different churches all over the, the country. And we lived on the West Coast and we were moving back. He was, we were gonna be moving back to the New England area. He was gonna be pastoring a new church. And one time he said, you know, instead of just from Seattle, like we're north of Seattle, hopping on I-90 and taking that literally the entire way, what if we went on back roads through the Canadian Rockies and went that way and went north? So instead of getting to like Coeur d'Alene, Idaho in like a day, it was like two and a half days. It was awful. And we kept telling him, will you please get the car back over to the United States and onto an interstate like now? We're going on these like windy, swerving roads. But, but that's not the story I want to tell you about. That, that had a crazy start to it. But another time, my dad decided to go on back roads. It was when we lived in Washington State. And, and he wanted to cross the, the long way through the Cascade Mountains instead of, again, just hopping on I-90. We were headed over to the Spokane, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Spokane, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho area for a 4th of July weekend. Just, I don't know, what was that? Like maybe 25 years ago? I can't do the math. Years ago or something this past week that happened. Um, it's one of the craziest road trips of my life. And, and we're going along. We've got me and my three younger siblings and my mom and my dad. And we're, we're going on this way and we're protesting. Please do not do this. Will you please just get us to the hotel? We know we can be there in about six to seven hours. The states are much bigger out west. And, and, and so we know we can be there in, a, in, in this many hours. Why do we have to take back? No, we're gonna, it's going to be fun. We're going to take the back roads. And no many, how many times he said it's going to be fun? It didn't get fun. I don't know. That just works. I find myself doing the same thing now sometimes to dad. No, no, no. We're going to like this. This is going to be good. And it's just my optimism kicking in. I'm just like, it's really not going well. No one else is enjoying this. So anyway, we're on this road. And, and I was really just like, I get car sick like real bad. If I'm not either drive, I have to be driving really. It doesn't even matter if I'm in the front seat. I'm going to get car sick. And so even as a kid and to this day, and so we're meandering and I'm just miserable. And, and we're going through the Cascades and it's like looping roads. It's like to go from here to there, I have to go like three miles this way and loop back around on these like windy roads on the sides of mountains and I'm car sick. And we finally get out of the Cascades. Thank God we've only got like, three more hours through cornfields and we're gonna make it to our hotel. This is great. And it's just flat and you can see for miles and there's absolutely nothing. And we're driving on back roads through these cornfields, just going along. And all of a sudden we hear a noise and it's coming from the engine. And we're like, what's that? I'm, I don't know, a teenager at this point. What is that noise? It's nothing. I'm sure it's nothing. My dad said, we keep going. And then all of a sudden, 
the car starts just going slower and slower. And it doesn't matter how much my dad pushes on the gas. Like, it's not doing anything. And he realizes the car's dying. And he just slowly gets it over to the shoulder. Kind of doesn't matter if he pulls it over on the shoulder. No one else is on this road. And, and we're there. And, and, and here we are, stopped on the side of the road. And we have no idea why. My dad's trying to restart the car, restart the car. Maybe the battery's dead. The battery doesn't matter when the car's going. And everyone's starting yelling at each other, blaming each other. We're all freaking out because we're in the middle of a cornfield. It's getting dark because we decided to take the back roads instead of being there three hours earlier. Anyone been on this road trip? Is this bringing horrible flashbacks to your memory? And and we're all blaming each other and yelling at my dad. And he's blaming, I don't know what he's blaming, something else. Because it's, you know, and, and we don't know what's going on. And this is like, I, I think he had like his second cell phone ever. Thank God. I know, kids, there was a time when maybe one person in the family had a cell phone. And, th- and there, there was that time too. We can't go that far back. That's like, that's like the dark ages there. Wow. Um, but anyway, so my dad, like miracle of miracles, he had like a little bit of service and it would cut in and out. Cause again, middle of nowhere. And it's not like AT&T's got like coverage all over the country at this time. So, so he's able to call AAA. We had AAA. Anyone got AAA? And we had to wait forever for the strangest tow truck driver to come. But here's the problem. He gets there and goes, oh, I can tow your car, but I've only got room for two people in my tow truck. And there's six of us. So we had to wait another hour for his girlfriend to come. It's this bizarre story. So I'm in the truck with my dad and then my mom and my sisters and my, uh, my baby brother at that point are, are in, the, in the, the car with the tow truck driver's girlfriend driving us to the garage. This is so bizarre. And we finally get there. But I just remember... We're exhausted, we're miserable, and and the time where we're waiting for this tow truck driver to come, in the middle of nowhere, I just felt, we all just felt so helpless. We felt so purposeless. We felt so pointless. Like, there's nothing around. It's not like we could just, like, hop into a restaurant or go play at a park. There's nothing. There's corn. There's corn. And it's not good corn. This is corn they use for cows. So you don't want to eat this corn. And, and I just found myself, and we found ourselves just stuck in the middle of nowhere between where we started and where we wanted to get, and we were making no progress. How many of you can relate? Now, I, I find this, this story as bizarre and crazy as it is. Thankfully, we eventually got out. But I I find this story so helpful as we look at Zechariah's words in in Zechariah chapter 9. Because just like we were stuck in that road trip, how many of you feel like you get to moments in your life like that where you are stuck in the middle of a cornfield? You're not where you started, so that's good, but you're not making any progress. Where am I? What is the point of being here? God's not doing anything. I'm not moving forward. I'm, it's good I'm not moving backward, but I'm just sort of here. 
And this happens to me, and I think it happens to you for all sorts of different reasons, right? We have real big disruptions to things in our family life, our job life, our circumstances. Sometimes we have really tragic uh, things that happen or hardships, and, and, and they, we go through them. And do you find sometimes in the other times of these really critical moments in life that we just come out of it and we're not like moving into something new. We're just sort of stuck there. You find that ever? I feel that too. We're just stopped. Again, we're, we're not back where we were before. Things have progressed, but now that progression's just stopped. It was a fuel pump, by the way. Do you find that something's missing or not working in life like that fuel pump where you just go, I, why, why does it seem like nothing's happening in me, in my relationships, in my, my life with God, in, in, in my work? Like, why does it seem like this is, I'm just stuck when we're in this space, the, the word that was coming to mind is that we're languishing. Have you ever been languishing? Have you ever even used the word languishing? How many in your daily life just like, I'm really languishing right now? It sounds super dramatic, super dramatic. I'm just languishing. But here's how the Oxford Dictionary defines languishing. It's failing to make progress or be successful. Have you ever felt that way? Like, I'm, I'm glad I'm not where I was, but it doesn't feel like I'm making any progress. I'm languishing. Uh, sometimes in psychological terms, languishing is used to describe a mental state that may make it hard for you to feel positive about your life. Like, I'm just not going anywhere. Like, and you just are kind of down on yourself. You know what I'm talking about? And when you're languishing, things might actually be okay for you. You might be relatively comfortable, but you're not really living in this proactive place of watching God and, and waiting on God to move and you're expectant and you, you're, you think that things are happening, right? You're just kind of going through the motions. You're languishing. I want to put a little uh, uh, continuum up on the screen here. Uh, this, this is the picture of what languishing feels like. We're not in despair, so that's good, but we're not exactly hopeful and living out of hope. We're just in that middle space. What, what does it look like to be languishing in your life? What are some words to describe it? What are some things to help you know that you might be languishing? Maybe you're describing yourself as just kind of blah. That's the theological term. Maybe you prefer the word meh. You're just kind of, you know, you don't really have a feeling like things are moving forward. Maybe you're going through the motions day after day, week after week, but you're not really considering what you're doing. Maybe you've got that kind of feeling like you're just sort of waiting for something to happen to you or for you, but it doesn't really come. It's just the same thing over and over. Maybe you're not aware right now, or it's not obvious to you how Jesus is at work in your life or in others. Maybe like if someone asks you that question, you'd be like, maybe that's an indicator that you're languishing. 
What about if you're feeling extremely self-focused, even self-focused in terms of what God's doing in you, that you don't really consider what God is doing in others? That also could be a sign that you're languishing. Check your self-talk or the way you speak. Are you becoming increasingly sarcastic and cynical? Could be a sign that you're languishing. Have you lost a sense of vision in your life, maybe where you've had vision before, things you've been excited about or where you think God's been at work and you just, you, you don't seem to have any energy for that for some reason and you can't quite put your finger on why. Maybe you've experienced a lot of disappointments or setbacks or losses or pain in your life that you haven't addressed, that you haven't grieved that you haven't dealt with, and, and, and they're just kind of sitting there unpacked from the suitcase of your life, and it's leaving you languishing. These are just different ways that you could be experiencing languishing. And, and, and I think we find ourselves languishing between where we were and where Jesus wants to bring us quite often. That's the space where we languish, where we, we started some journey with God, either the first time we said yes to him or something new he's been doing in our life, and then it just kind of stops. And I don't think this is everything, but I'm, I'm not in that space where I thought I was going to be. What's going on here? But here, here's the good news that Zechariah presents to us this morning from this passage. He says, Jesus wants to invite you out of languishing. Jesus wants to invite you out of languishing into a hopeful waiting so that you can receive blessings from him. Now, some of you maybe are in the midst of languishing and you go, I don't even know if that's real. But I just want you to hear that good news because of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus wants to invite you into a hopeful waiting so you can again receive his blessing. The, the people of Israel that, that Zechariah was writing to were in a space of languishing. Here's what was going on, just a little context. They, they were in the Babylon, Mesopotamia area. It's modern day Iraq. And, and they were there and they had been taken from the land that God had given them and they'd been exiled because they'd been disobedient to God and they'd been here now for 70 plus years and God had told them, hey, after 70 years, you're gonna be able to return. And some of them had returned. Some of them had had the opportunity and they'd, be given, they'd been given the, the favor by the Persian king to return and reestablish their homeland and, and pursue again the vision that God had given them at first. But there were a lot of people who just didn't go and they were just kind of there still in Babylon and Mesopotamia just languishing God was like hey I, there's the, you can go back home now you, there's this new work happening and, and something that happened in the disappointment and the exile that that disruption to their lives left them feeling like they were languishing, like they couldn't move forward. They were stuck. Their whole world had been rocked. Has your whole world ever been rocked before and left you after just feeling blah? 
You know, the thing about languishing, and this is Zechariah's concern, he says to them in verse 12, he says, come back, come back to the place of safety. You're not in a place of safety where you are now. You're living in in lethargy. You're living in this languishing state because he knows and God knows he needs to call his people constantly out of languishing because when you're in languishing, you're not safe. It's not good there for you. It's dangerous there. You, you know, when, when we're in despair, all your alarm bells are going off, right? And you're like, okay, I got to do something. I'm hitting rock bottom or this isn't going well. God, help me. It's a lot easier to try and get some positive movement forward when you're in despair. You know what I'm talking about? We, we go into just emergency mode and we got to fix this. But when you're languishing, you kind of come out of that emergency mode and things are a little more comfortable, a little more easy. Maybe it's not too bad for you in many ways. And you're like, you know, I could stop here. And that's the most dangerous space for you and I to be in, following Jesus. And so Zechariah knows this and God knows this. So he's calling his people out of this space of 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 lethargy in Mesopotamia and languishing. And he's saying, you need to come out of this space. You need to continue the journey. You need to come back to the place of safety, all of you prisoners who still have hope. You need to get your hope back. You need to get your hope back. You need to come back. Wake up. I've had seasons in my life, you probably have been thinking of seasons in your life where you're just in that languishing space. Uh, For me, in different ways during the pandemic, I found myself languishing. We had just three weeks before the pandemic launched this campus. It was so exciting. There was somewhere between like 150 to 200 people here each of those Sundays. And we're just like, wow, God's doing something. And then the whole world shuts down. And we're like, wow, God's not doing anything. And, and there were times where I'm like, this is just for a little bit. Maybe by Easter, we'll be back in the building. I can't believe we talked like that, looking back on it. Isn't that bizarre? But, but you were just like, man, is God even at work? Is he even moving? Did you have moments like that during the pandemic where you just kind of felt like you're just going through the motions? There's, there's not a lot of opportunity to experience hopefulness and, and hopeful waiting. Because what are you waiting for? Another day in quarantine. Another Netflix show. I mean, you could only watch so much TV during the pandemic. And I had moments where I just felt stuck. And then I think the harder thing was coming out of that lockdown period and trying to transition back to whatever normal was. But you still kind of had all that muscle memory of lockdown. Did you find that, that even like being out, I still was kind of living in that languishing space a little. Did you find yourself living in that a little like, I'm just kind of waiting for God to kind of jolt things back into motion a little bit here and it'll come. But the problem is I wasn't changing any of my routines. I wasn't changing anything I was doing. And, and I'd just gotten so used to this kind of, and I hadn't learned how to actually hopefully wait on God well during the pandemic. So I just kind of continued the same thing I'd been doing. And I'm going through the motions and back with people and around people. But it just felt like I was languishing. Maybe you felt that too. Or 
Other things have contributed to that. When we have times that we experience disappointment, especially loss and pain, it's so disorienting. And if we don't take the time to deal with these things that Jesus is pointing us out, pointing out to us during those seasons, it, it, it almost stunts our growth, stunts our progress. It leaves us in that space of languishing. But Zechariah gives a, a call here. He says, come back. Come back, come, come out. I know you, you started that journey. You're somewhere in the middle, but listen, you don't have to be stuck. Will you come back? Get out of that, that place where you're languishing. You who still have hope. And what Zechariah invites us into, what God invites us into is can we be people who instead of languishing, choose to hope? instead. Now, hope is, is a very, very different thing. First, hope is not wishful thinking. I hope that happens. No, that's I wish that happen, could happen. Hope is, is very, very different. Hope isn't wishful thinking or passivity or just simply having a, a great optimism. What hope actually is, biblically, is, is a posture of ready, waiting, and watching because you're expectant that something's going to happen. In the scriptures, especially in the Psalms, there's often this uh, image or this illustration of, of a person who's like a guard on a tower for a city, and they're watching, and they're looking out in the distance, waiting for news to come from battle or an enemy to approach. And, and the language used around that is, is what's used to describe what hope is. I'm expectant because I know something's going to happen. I'm not just standing here passively. I'm actively ready. I'm actively watching and I'm ready to move at the moment I see what's happening. And this language is used of God all the time. When we hope in God, it's not simply like, yeah, I hope in him. I'm just going to kind of hang out until he does something. It's a posture of actively being ready being attentive to Jesus, being attentive and seeing how he's working and moving in the little mundane things of life and expecting and knowing that it's going to become something more. And when we live in this posture of expectancy, notice he calls them prisoners of hope. You see, some things in your life, circumstances and situations might not actually change. You might still be a prisoner you might still be an exile. You might still be a conquered people. You might still feel like there's a lot of difficulty in your life, but you can shift your posture from one of languishing to one of living in hope and waiting and expecting and knowing that God is on the move. It's not a when he moves or if he moves. It's a how is he going to move? And so just very simply, a couple of these are practically right from this passage. How do we practically hope? How do we get out of the languishing? How do we get out of being stuck between where we were and where we want to be in God? What does that look like practically? Just a few simple suggestions. First, if we're going to learn how to wait hopefully, to be prisoners of hope, uh, what we need to do is first reframe victory through the example of Jesus. What does that mean? What does that mean? Look at these verses, these opening verses, 
Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Tell me what this sounds like to you. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. This passage gets used in the book of Matthew uh, to to point to Jesus. Oh, this is what Zechariah is talking about. This is Jesus on Palm Sunday entering Jerusalem. But notice how the victory is framed here. Think about that story of what happened to Jesus that week. He, He was murdered. He was executed. He was executed in a way they wouldn't even execute someone who was a citizen. They wouldn't think of executing someone they actually thought of as human on a cross. That's just embarrassing. They'd just behead them. So Jesus went through this embarrassing, excruciating torture and suffered. And and think about that as you read this passage. He's entering Jerusalem. And here's Zechariah setting this up. This king's coming. Rejoice. You need to celebrate. He's victorious. He's going to save you. You can have hope. But here's how we need to reframe this because often we think about victory and celebration and and that in terms of how the world thinks about it. And, And here we have someone, a king, Jesus, who's humble. He's not coming to bring war and coerce people into following him and, and strong-arming him into, into bringing deliverance. He says he's going to get rid of all the violence. He's going to be humble. He's coming on a donkey, not a war horse. And, and, and sometimes we, we get into, um, especially with our, our worship music, sometimes we have a, an overemphasis on a diet of, of the kind of like, God, you're going to bring victory. And we've got too much of a diet of victory and we don't understand that the way Jesus does victory is through the suffering of the cross. And it's through a different way of living and being that's humble and nonviolent, but it does bring freedom from a place of languishing. And so we need to, if we're going to experience true hope, we've got to reframe victory. We can't have this idea that God's just going to make me happier and more joyful, and provide more blessing, materially speaking, and and he's going to do all these great things. He does do a lot of those things. The scripture's full of examples of him doing that. It's not that he doesn't. But if we're chasing after some kind of uh, material comfort and and equating that to victory, we've got to reframe victory or we're never going to experience hope in Jesus. Are you with me? So that's the first thing that we need to do to reframe and and wait and hope well. The second is very simple. We need to remind ourselves of Jesus' continued work in us and through us, through his life, death, and resurrection. I love what Zechariah says here in verse 11. He says, because of the covenant I made with you sealed with blood, I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. You know what a waterless dungeon is? It's, it's an empty well. What good is an empty well? Literally no good at all. Have you ever been imprisoned in a space in life that feels like purposelessness? It's just like, what's the point of being here? And, and God is saying, listen, Zechariah is saying that, that God is speaking and saying, listen, remember, I've made a promise to you through my blood. Jesus is to you and I, my life, my death, my resurrection. I've guaranteed that I am available to you and I'm working in you. You're not going to be stuck in this place of purposelessness anymore. And too often we forget that God is actively working right now. 
Brian, Jesus is working right now. Right now in you. Denise, Jesus is working right now in you. He's working right now. We sing that song, Waymaker, sometime. Even though I can't see it, you're working. Even though I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. But man, we've got to remind ourselves of that every single day. Because how many days does it feel like he's doing nothing? But what hope does to pull us out of languishing is it reminds our soul every day that his blood, his life, his death, his resurrection is working in us and through us right now, even on the days that seem the darkest. He's at work. So that's what we need to do if we're gonna wait in hope. And if we're gonna be able to reframe our victory and remind ourselves Uh, that Jesus is at work in us, we need to also remember to remain attentive to Jesus through prayer and scripture. Being with Jesus in prayer and in scripture is part of how we stay attentive to him, meditating on portions of scripture, getting into the gospel stories, getting into the Psalms, getting into life with God and just taking time daily to be still with Jesus. So we can become more attentive to him. And we'll begin to see, you will begin to see that he's working. You'll be surprised how much he's doing actually. Next, we need to learn, if we're going to have hope, we have to learn how to reflect well on the losses and the pain of life that we've experienced. And we need to learn how to grieve them with Jesus. I I described this earlier as like having a suitcase that you need to unpack. How many of you go on an amazing vacation and take all your dirty clothes in your suitcase and just leave them in there and take it with you on your next trip? (laughs) Johnny, you crack me up. He put his hand up in the back of the room. He's so funny. That's the kind of thing I definitely would have done before I I got married. (laughs) Woo! We're not going to talk about that today. That's another sermon. Um, Anyway, uh, But man, every one of us, no one gets to escape this. We all have old laundry from our life, losses, pain, horrific things, and in some ways, small, minor things. And if we don't grieve those things, even if they seem, well, this isn't a big deal, like I I should just kind of suck it up and get over it. But man, these things matter. And if, if we don't do the work to unpack that and process that and grieve those losses with, with Jesus, it's just leaving space that's unable to be accessed in our soul. It's, it's space that's not open to receiving the hope that Jesus is working in us now. You've only got so much space to hold so much stuff. And then you just start exploding. I just recently, my, uh, my uh, alma mater, where I went to, graduated from, from school, where I went to study for ministry, just announced their closing. And it hurt. And I was kind of like, is this something I really need to like take time? I'm busy, got like little kids, you know, all these different things going on. And I had to like force myself a few days just to take a few minutes here and there because I knew if I didn't, process this grief or how the pain felt to me 
I was gonna miss something God wanted to prepare me for in the future. And so I had to take time this last week to just force myself and discipline myself to do that. I'm not quite done. But as I, I was doing that, I found myself getting more vision and being more hopeful for what God wanted to do in me and through me next. But if I had just kind of let that sit there after a couple weeks, it's a small thing, so it might have been a relatively small experience, but that might have started to cause some languishing in me. It's like if you put a really tiny pebble in your shoe and start walking in it for days at a time, it's really small. It's not that big of a deal, right? But over time, you're going to need to go see a chiropractor. It's, that's throwing off your, your back. It's throwing off your hips. These things really affect us, even if they're small. So we got to grieve these things, unpack them. And then, and then finally, if we're going to learn how to wait in hope, if we're doing all of these other things well, finally what we can do is we need to learn how to normalize living in the in-between. Between where we started and where God is bringing us to. Not because we're languishing anymore though, but we need to realize to a certain extent, most of life is kind of dull and mundane. Not exciting. It's not a mountaintop experience, even things with God. Some of you are like now really depressed, going like, what? The, the normal human experience, even following Jesus, means that some days, most days, are just kind of normal. But in that normality, are you going to languish? Or are you going to normalize this and say, I can be hopeful even on a normal mundane day because I know God's working. I'm watching and waiting because at any moment, this normal day can turn into something incredible that has never happened before. You know, you read through the book of Acts and it's just story after story of the Holy Spirit doing these crazy things along with people. You know, the whole like timeline of Acts is like over decades at least 20 years like they, they weren't having like action-packed moment after action-packed moment it's just written that way to give you the highlights but in between all these incredible stories there's life happening and if they had at any point the early church just kind of fallen into hmm, I guess nothing's happening I guess God's done moving they wouldn't have been in a posture to wait hopefully when when the Holy Spirit was ready to do something fresh and new and take them in a new direction. How many things do we miss as individuals, as a church community, because we've kind of started to languish in the in-between instead of waiting expectantly with hope? One of those stories, I want to just close with this. I love this story. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are doing their normal thing, preaching the gospel, trying to be faithful to what God's doing on a day-to-day basis. And this time, whoops, they got thrown in prison. There was a woman who was uh, demonized and, and she was making her, she was a slave as well and her owners were making a lot of money because this demon was able to say all these things that knew all these things about people's lives and, and, and they were making a ton of money. She was essentially like a psychic or a fortune teller and, and, and this was at work. And, and so uh, Paul got her free from this demon and guess what? The owners were not happy because they couldn't make money anymore. And Paul, even though he was a Roman citizen and they couldn't do this, they got him thrown in prison with Silas. And here they are, he's wrongly imprisoned. And you know what they could have done in prison? 
They could have just waited it out. Oh, maybe God will do something. I don't know. Let's just hang out. Can't be that long. I'm a Roman citizen after all. At some point, they're gonna figure that out and they'll let me out. Or, or they could have said, I guess this is the end. Well, we tried. We did well. That was it. Hope it was worth it. Or, or they could have said, you know, we did the best we could. High five. This is where it ends, Silas. Good job. Or they could have said, God, where are you now? How could you leave us here to rot? How dare you, God? This isn't how it's supposed to go. They could have started to blame each other. Silas could have been like, Paul, why'd you have to cast that demon out without thinking things through first? You always do this, Paul. And they just start blaming each other. Like my family on that road trip. You see all of those kinds of reactions to a moment of disruption, they, they just lead us to languishing. They just lead us to getting stuck. They just lead us to being in between despair and, langu- and hope. But here's what they did do. You know what they did start doing is they, they just started to worship. Now these prisons are not like prisons nowadays. They're, they're literally like a big pit that they just threw people into because they didn't know what to do with them. You're a trouble to society, go in there. There's no food, there's, there's no nice system. There's someone that has the lock and the key on the outside and that's about it. And there's just all these people in a really dark pit. Just like this empty well that Zechariah talks about. And this sound of worship just starts to come out. They're probably singing the Psalms. And they're just worshiping and worshiping and worshiping. And some of you who know the story know what happens next. The whole prison began to shake. And the doors of the prison opened up. And they were totally free to go. And the jailer ran because he, he heard the, the earthquake and he ran to check on this prison and he saw that it was all opened up and he had his sword there and he was about to kill himself with his sword because he's like, they're obviously, I, I'm gonna get, the, the magistrate's just gonna kill me, he's gonna torture me because he thinks I was a part of this. I'm better off killing myself now. My family's better off me being killed now. So it looks like they killed me in their jailbreak or something. And Paul from inside says, hey, 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 don't do that. Everyone's still here. No one left when the doors opened up. Now, if, if you were in jail, unjustly accused, and the doors just opened up and there's no one around, how fast would you get out of there? But here's the thing. Because they were worshiping out of a place of hope, God's presence was so tangible in that place that they turned that prison into a palace oh man we can't leave this God's too good their circumstances and essentially didn't really change they all could have fled but man not a single prisoner in there left you see they were prisoners of hope not prisoners of a dungeon And this is what Jesus is inviting you and I into in our lives, our circumstances. You know, saying I'm not going to live in languishing anymore, I'm going to live in hope, doesn't automatically mean all of your life circumstances just change. But it does mean that you live in them differently. It means that what was a prison can become like a palace. 
It can be a place where you're filled with hope and filled with the reality of God's presence there because you're attentively waiting for him to work. And so as we close, I just have one question for you. Just let this be a question for you to reflect on. I want to invite you to go back to this scripture passage throughout this week. And just ask yourself, where is Jesus inviting you? Into hope, where you were once languishing. Where's the languishing in your life? And Jesus is saying, come on, it's time to walk in hope. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we, I recognize first and foremost, Lord, that, that everyone, everyone's life situation is hard. There are really hard moments and some really great moments. But Jesus, I, I also know that so many here in this room have experienced living in a hope despite those circumstances. I know so many in this room who have made prisons into palaces because of following you, hopefully, and experiencing you with them in the midst of it. And so, Jesus, we just pray that those testimonies would would be shared, would be unleashed to people who haven't heard those stories yet and who need to hear those stories so they too can walk out of their languishing and into hope, so they don't get stuck feeling like there's no more progress, but they can walk out and hope what you are doing in them and through them. So I just pray in Jesus' name that we would have the courage this morning to leave the languishing behind become prisoners of hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.